Chapter Two of the Story of Ab. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Christine Blashford. The Story of Ab by Stanley Waterloo. Chapter Two: Man and Hyena. It is but an act of simple gallantry and justice to assert that the cave woman had a certain unhampered swing of movement which the modern woman often lacks. Without any reflection upon the blessed woman of today, it must be said truthfully that she can neither leap a creek nor surmount some such obstacle as a monster tree trunk with a close approach to the ease and grace of this mother who came bounding through the forest. There was nothing unknowing or hesitant about her movements. She ran swiftly and leapt lightly when occasion came. She was lithe as the panther and as careless of where her brown feet touched the ground. The woman had physical charms. She was of about the average size of womanhood as we see it embodied now, but her waist was not compressed at an unseemly angle, and much resembled in its contour that of the Venus of Milo, which has become such a stock example of the healthfully symmetrical. Her hair was brown and long, it was innocent of knot or coil or braid, and was transfixed by no abatis of dangerous pins. It was not parted, but was thrown straight backward over the head, and hung down fairly and far between brown shoulders. It was a fine head of hair, there could be no question about that. It had gloss and colour. Captious critics, reasoning from the standpoint of another age, might think it needed combing, but that is only a matter of opinion. It was tangled together in a compact and fluffy mass, and so did not wander into the woman's eyes, which was a good thing and a great convenience, for bright eyes and unobstructed vision were required in those lively days. The face of this lady showed, at a glance, that no cosmetic had ever been relied upon to give it an artificial charm. As a matter of fact, it would have been difficult to use cosmetics upon that face in the modern way, for there was a suggestion of something more than down upon the countenance, and there were certain irregularities of facial outline so prominent that such details as the little matter of complexion must be trifling. The eyes were deep-set and small, the nose was short and thick, and possessed a certain vagueness of outline not easy of description. The upper lip was excessively long, and the underlip protruding. The chin was well-defined and firm. The mouth was rather wide, and the teeth were strong and even, and as white as any ivory ever seen. Such was the face, and there may be added some details of interest about the figure. The arms of this fascinating woman were perfectly proportioned. They were adapted to the times, and were very beautiful. Down each of them, from shoulder to elbow, ran a strip of short dark hair. From either hand ran upward to the elbow another strip of hair, and the two, meeting at the elbow, formed a delightful little tuft, reminding one of what is known as a widow's peak, or that little point which grows down so charmingly on an occasional woman's forehead. Her biceps were tremendous, as must necessarily be the case with a lady accustomed to swing from limb to limb along the treetops. Her thumb was nearly as long as her fingers, and the palms of her hands were hard. Her legs were like her arms in their degree of muscular development and hairy adornment. She had beautiful feet. It is to be admitted that her heels projected a trifle more than is counted the ideal thing at the present day, and that her big toe and all the other toes were very much in evidence, but there is not one woman in ten thousand now who could as handily pick up objects with her toes as could the mother of the baby Ab. She was as brown as a nut, with the tan of a half-tropical summer, and as healthy a creature, from tawny head to backward sloping heel, as ever trod a path in the world's history. This was the quality of the lady who came so swiftly to learn the nature of her offspring's trouble. Ladies of that day attended, as a rule, to the wants of their own children. A wet nurse was a thing unknown, and a dry one as unthought of. This was good for the children. 
The woman made a dive into the little hollow and picked the babe from its nest of leaves and tossed him up lightly, and at once his crying ceased and his little brown arms went around her neck, and he cooed and prattled in very much the same fashion as does a babe of the present time. He was content, all in a moment, yet some noise must have aroused him, for, as it chanced, there was great need that this particular babe, at this particular moment, should have awakened and cried aloud for his mother. This was made evident immediately. As the woman tossed him aloft in her arms and cuddled him again, there came a sound to her ears which made her leap like some wilder creature of the forest up to a little vantage ground. She turned her head, and then, you should have seen the woman. Very nearly above them swung down one of the branches of a great beech tree. The mother threw the child into the hollow of her left arm and leapt upward a yard to catch the branch with her right hand. So she hung dangling. Then, instantly, holding him firmly by one arm in her left hand, she lowered the child between her legs and clasped them about him closely. And then, had it been your fortune to be born in those times, you might have seen good climbing. With both her strong arms free, this vigorous matron ran up the stout beech limb which depended downward from the great bole of the tree until she was twenty feet above the ground, and then, lifting herself into a comfortable place, in a moment was sitting there at ease, her legs and one arm coiled about the big branch and a smaller upstanding one, while the other arm held the brown babe close to her bosom. This charming lady of the period had reached her perch in the beech treetop none too soon. Even as she swung herself into place upon the huge bough, there came rushing across the space beneath, snarling, smelling, and seeking, a brute as foul and dangerous as could be imagined for mother and son upon the ground. It was of a dirty dun colour, mottled and striped with a lighter but still dingy hue. It had a black hoggish nose, but there were fangs in its great jaws. It resembled a huge wolf, save as to its massiveness and club countenance. It was one of the monster hyenas of the time, a beast which must have been as dangerous to the men then living as any animal except the cave tiger and the cave bear. Its degenerate posterity, as they shuffle uneasily back and forth when caged today, are perhaps not less foul of aspect, but are relatively pygmies. Doubtless the brute had scented the sleeping babe, and, snarling aloud in its search, had waked it, inducing the cry which proved the child's salvation. The beast scented immediately the prey above him, and leapt upward ferociously and vainly. Was the woman thus beset, thus holding herself aloft, and with her child upon one arm in a state of sickening anxiety? Hardly. She but encircled the supporting branch the closer, and laughed aloud. She even poked one bare foot down at the leaping beast, and waved her leg in provocation. At the same time there was no doubt that she was beset. Furthermore, she was hungry, and so she raised her voice and sent out through the forest a strange call, a quavering minor wail, but something to be heard at a great distance. There was no delay in the response, for delays were dangerous when cavemen lived. The call was answered instantly, and the answering cry was repeated as she called again, the sound of the reply approaching nearer and nearer all the time. All at once the manner of her calling changed. It was an appeal no longer. It was a conversation, an odd, clucking, penetrating speech in the shortest of sentences. She was telling of the situation. There was prompt reply. The voice seemed suddenly higher in the air, and then came, swinging easily from branch to branch along the treetops, the father of Ab, a person who felt a natural and aggressive interest in what was going on. To describe the caveman it is, it may be, best of all to say that he was the woman over again, only stronger, longer-limbed, and deeper-chested, firmer of jaw and more grim of countenance. He was dressed almost as she was. 
From his broad shoulder hung a cloak of the skin of some wild beast, but the cord which tied it was a stout one, and in the belt thus formed was stuck a weapon of such quality as men have rarely carried since. It was a stone axe, an axe heavier than any battle-axe of medieval times, its haft a scant three feet in length, enclosing the axe through a split in the tough wood, all being held in place by a taut and hardened mass of knotted sinews. It was a fearful weapon, but one only to be wielded by such a man as this, one with arms almost as mighty as those of the gorilla. The man sat himself upon the limb beside his wife and child. The two talked together in their clucking language for a moment or two, but few words were wasted. Words had not their present abundance in those days. Action was everything. The man was hungry too, and wanted to get home as soon as possible. He had secured food which was awaiting them, and this slight annoying episode of the day must be ended promptly. He clambered easily up the tree and wrenched off a deadened limb at least two yards in length, then tumbling back again and passing his wife and child along the main branch, he swung down to where the leaping beast could almost reach him. The heavy club he carried gave him an advantage. With a whistling sweep, as the hyena leapt upward in its ravenous folly, came this huge club crashing against the thick skull, a blow so fair and stark and strong that the stunned beast fell backward upon the ground, and then down, lightly as any monkey, dropped the caveman. The huge stone axe went crashing into the brain of the quivering brute, and that was the end of the incident. Mother and child leapt down together, and the man and woman went chattering toward their cave. This was not a particularly eventful day with them, they were accustomed to such things. They went strolling off through the beech glades, the strong, hairy, heavy-jawed man, the muscular but more lightly built woman, and the child, perched firmly and chattering blithely upon her shoulder as they walked, or rather half-trotted, along the riverside and toward the cave. They were light of foot and light of thought, but there was ever that almost unconscious alertness appertaining to their time. Their flexible ears twitched and turned, now forward, now backward, to catch the slightest sound. Their nostrils were open for dangerous scents, or for the scent of that which might give them food, either animal or vegetable. And as for the eyes, well, they were the sharpest existent within the history of the human race. They were keen of vision at long distance, and close at hand, and ever were they in motion, swiftly turned sidewise this way and that, peering far ahead or looking backward to note what enemies of the wood might be upon the trail. So, swiftly along the glade and ever alert, went the father and mother of Ab carrying the strong child with them. There came no new alarm, and soon the cave was reached, though on the way there was a momentary deviation from the path to gather up the nuts and berries the woman had found in the afternoon while the babe was lying sleeping. The fruitage was held in a great leaf, a pliant thing pulled together at the edges, tied stoutly with a strand of tough grass, and making a handy pouch containing a quart or two of the food, which was the woman's contribution to the evening meal. As for the father, he had more to offer, as was evident when the cave was reached. The man and woman crept through the narrow entrance and stood erect in a recess in the rocks twenty feet square at least, and perhaps fifteen feet in height. Looking upward, one could see a gleam of light from the outer world. The orifice through which the light came was the chimney, dug downward with much travail from the level of the land above. Directly underneath the opening was the fireplace, for men had learned thoroughly the use of fire, and had even some fancies as to getting rid of smoke. There were smouldering embers upon the hearth, embers of the hardest of wood, the wood which would preserve a fire for the greatest length of time, for the caveman had neither flint and steel nor matches, and when a fire expired it was a matter of some difficulty to secure a flame again. On this occasion there was no trouble. The embers were beaten up easily into glowing coals, and twigs and dry dead limbs cast upon them made soon a roaring flame. 
As the cave was lighted, the proprietor pointed laughingly to the abundance of meat he had secured. It was food of the finest sort, and in such quantity that even this stalwart being's strength must have been exceptionally tested in bringing the burden to the cave. It was something in quality for an epicure of the day, and there was enough of it to make the caveman's family easy for a week at least. It was a hind quarter of a wild horse. End of chapter 2